Welcome to the Injury Investigator Podcast, where we investigate the body and how it creates patterns around your injury. I'm your host, Kim Fisher-Keys, sport massage and injury therapist and bike fitter in the Washington, D.C. area. After working with elite and weekend warrior athletes for 15 years, I'm bringing my well-traveled mosaic background to the world of podcasts. If you want to find out more about my journey from Northern California and neuromuscular re-education to osteopathy in Paris, France, to Florida and NFL players, you can find me at functionalfitbody.com or on Instagram at Kim F. Key. This podcast does not give medical advice. It is intended for listening purposes only. It is not a substitute for professional medical advice, diagnosis, or treatment. Hi, this is Kim Fisher-Key, and this is the second episode for the Injury Investigator Podcast for 2022. And today I am welcoming um, a guest who is a triathlete and also a total bike nerd. That's how I first got introduced to him was all things geeking out about bikes. And I also would call you, I guess I would just call you a definite gearhead in general, um, <laughs> but as much as you are a nerd about bikes, uh, I think you're also even more nerdy and get even more geeked out about shoes. Um, when he told me about his shoe collection, I thought, you know, I kind of envisioned in my head like, oh, you know, the TV closet's full of shoes. And I thought, yeah, 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 sure. He, he likes shoes, but no, no, he really does have a closet just like on TV full of shoes. And I, I think they're mostly running shoes. Is that correct? I mean, it was crazy. So many. Yeah, they're all running shoes, road and trail, both. <laughs> and so that's when I realized he has, a, he has a problem. But I could also, not only does he have a problem, but I could also tap him for lots of information about shoes. And over the course of the probably last year, I would say, I've definitely given you a few texts to help me with some clients about, hey... I'm seeing this with a client. They're kind of in some pronation. They want to do a 10K. What are your thoughts? Um, right? That's fair to say. Yeah, I've definitely absolutely. tapped you over the last year or so. Mm-hmm. So I like to give a big welcome to my guest, Lorenzo, who's going to now, as I'm calling this podcast, the shoe dissection. So <laughs> we're going to get started with shoe dissection. And I'm literally just going to jump right in to the question I get the most from clients. Let's do it. What is, what is a zero drop shoe? And what's the well, difference between zero drop and quote unquote, an, a regular running shoe? Well, first of all, we should probably define what the drop of a shoe is. Perfect. And a shoe's drop is measured by taking the difference between the stack of the midsole, which is the soft, squishy foam under your foot, so it's taking the difference between the stack height of the midsole at the heel and the stack height of the midsole at the forefoot. So, for example, if a shoe has a 25-millimeter stack in the heel and a 20-millimeter stack at the forefoot, you're looking at a 5-millimeter drop. So it's, it's, it's essentially saying what is the geometry of the shoe. A mm. shoe that's more aggressive is going to have a higher drop and, in essence, be pushing you further forward. Um, and one with a lower drop is a little more neutral in the stance that your foot is more flat. Um, th- that just affects the, it influences the position of your foot when it contacts the ground. Are there, um, are there, is there a type of runner that, that 
kind of, what's what I'm looking for? They kind of gravitate towards zero drop shoe. Um, generally trail runners tend to like zero drop more than road runners in general. Um, there has been a lot of trail runners who have converted to road runners who took that same zero drop to the road and it has worked for them. Mm. Um, but in general, if, if you're just running on the roads, most people do like a little bit of drop. Um, and the reason it works better to have zero drop on the trails, because when you're climbing up an incline, you're on your toes anyway, and it, you're not really hitting your heels at all anyway. So it doesn't, it doesn't affect the, the positioning of your foot. Also, when you're running on a trail that's more technical, there's a lot more variation in the surface. And so your ankle is moving at a lot of different angles. And so having a shoe that influences your foot impact less is ideal for the trail. Um, hmm. Like, for example, Ultra is a brand that is probably most well known for zero drop shoe. They all of their all of their models have zero drop. Um, another one is Topo Athletic. Uh, Tony Poth used to be the CEO of Vibram, which is mm -hmm. famous for all their outsoles. Well, he branched off and made his own shoe line. And probably about half of his shoes have uh, zero drop. He does make some with others. But um, for general road running, people do tend to gravitate towards having a drop of some sort because it helps to kind of propel you forward. <gasps> That's perfect. That was my next question. Oh, you're so good. So let's move into the propelling forward type shoe, which which is a rocker, correct? Right. So what what is the main purpose of a rocker shoe? Well, a rocker, it it just that's referring to the shape of the outsole uh, and the midsole, the the geometry of it. A rocker has kind of a significant toe up shape in the front of the shoe. And it influences the way your foot transitions to the next stride. So the sensation is sometimes described as like leaning forward or even like kind of stepping off a ledge as your foot transitions to the from the rear of your stride to the front. Mm -hmm. It's like that forward tipping, tipping sensation. So it functions by forcing your weight forward as your foot strikes the ground. And if if you think about the way running works, you're propelling yourself forward, but there's also just a very slight lean forward and that's using gravity to also help you to continue moving forward. So by putting a rocker geometry into a shoe, it's influencing your foot strike to start that initial movement forward um, from the shoe. And I, one thing that I see in runners constantly is when you tell them to lean forward is they, they hinge at the hip. Mm -hmm. And that just causes all kinds of problems. So I always tell runners to try to think of hinging forward barely at the ankle. And a shoe with a rocker kind of naturally does that for you anyway. That is a really, I want to pause on the hip hinging versus mm -hmm. down through the through, through gate, through the, the gate th throw there at the bottom of the foot, right? Um, I have definitely seen over the years people with hip issues uh, get told to be put in rockers. And I don't, I don't necessarily disagree with that. Um, but I do think when people make a blanket statement that we should hinge at the hip, and I know this as a body worker, and you probably know this from experience and being in the triathlete world, is that in general, people's people don't have a lot of movement in their hips anyway. <laughs> so to your point, when people think, oh, I'm hinging at the hip, 
Um, there could be lots of different things happening, a tight posterior chain with your glutes or low back. Um, of course the hip flexors always get, get teased out in there as well, but you have the IT band. So when people are thinking they're doing one action and in reality, they could be putting some compensation patterns on some issues. And then in conjunction with that, what I have found, especially over the last handful of years after doing all my French work where they super focus on feet. So now I kind of do that occasionally as well. People don't have a lot of movement in their individual metatarsals at the at the foot. And so then of course that affects gait, which then of course we're looking at the rocker shoe and how people roll through their gait, walking and running. And then we could even go geeking out on the difference of gait between walking and running, right? (laughs) (laughs) We could go there. We could. (laughs) Um, And actually, you know what? I think I might, I I think we will digress a little bit uh, from the walking and running because obviously when you run, you're, you're looking for a different type of gait. Like you were saying, you want to propel forward and propel off. Um, Versus when you walk, people are looking for something different. I think the combination, the 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 string between the two that's that's the same is that you need to have some foot flexibility. Right. And is there such a thing with shoes where, well, you know this and I know this, people get super attached to their shoe, right? Uh-huh. They get very attached to whatever shoe that really works well, or they don't have never had any injuries in, et cetera, et cetera. Would it it be fair to say that your shoe could change based off of how you're adapting, either working on your gait or decreasing restrictions in your fascial line, and then that's going to change how you perform? Absolutely. Okay. Um, I I. I think that there there's so many different kinds of shoes now. Um, I mean, the market is just flooded with different models and different geometries and different stack heights and everything. And part of that is just trying to meet the demands of runners needing different kinds of accommodations for inflexibility or, or weaknesses and things mm. that they have in their running. Um, but as you do get stronger, as you do increase flexibility or, or in, improve your gait, you might change what you like. So there may be a shoe that you really love now that as you increase your flexibility and get stronger ankles and um, better mobility in your feet, you may want something different under your foot. Mm-hmm. Um, so that's, that's, that's definitely something that uh, I've seen even in my own running. Well, and I want to, I just want to gold star that because <laughs> Everybody that knows I have too much fascination with gold stars. Um, (laughs) I want to gold star that because I think that is something that definitely I have done the same thing as a runner. You know, this shoe has worked for me for X amount of time. I did really well in races or I had really good, um, I had really good mileage in it and et cetera, et cetera. And I've been very loath to change the brand or the style, but in reality, it's actually been a detriment when I don't kind of branch out and find out what else is out there. And in conjunction with that, like you said, the market's going crazy and technology is changing so fast. Yeah. Well, and the other thing that, that I've noticed as well, especially with my own feet, is that as I've gotten older, my feet have changed shape a little bit. Mm-hmm. And as and different brands fit differently. And fit is probably the number one thing that people get wrong in their running shoes. And so 
if you're stuck on one shoe and it works really well for you for a while, you know, 10 years down the road, that may not be your shoe just because your foot doesn't fit that shoe anymore. Mm-hmm. It's important to, to pay attention to those kinds of things and adapt with your running so that you're not causing injury. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. So uh, I'm going to pause here and we're going uh-huh. to go into, um, actually, no, I'm going to move forward and to talk about the difference between minimalist versus cushion. And then what's the reason you would choose one or the other? Well, <laughs> that could be a whole series on its own. Um, <laughs> That's a rabbit hole it's, it's really, it's, it's, uh, it's very controversial in the running world. Um, I mean, essentially the way you look at it is that the greater the cushion under your foot, the way it's supposed to work is the greater the impact absorption. Um, but what I, what, what I, what I found in my own running and with, with some athletes that I coach and with other people that I run with, if you're not an elite runner, more cushion is probably your friend. And mm-hmm. the reason is, is that elite runners have very strong feet muscles. They have very strong ankles that all the ligaments and muscles and tendons and bones and everything have adapted to the type of extreme impact that they put into their feet. Whereas the average weekend runner or, you know, somebody who's doing 5Ks and things like that, they're not putting the same kind of impact into the feet that uh, an elite runner is. And so they need a little bit of protection. Um, so it's it's hard to say yes this versus that minimalist minimalist versus cushion okay. but in general if i had to generalize i think the stronger your feet ankles and calves are all the tendons and ligaments the better your running mechanics are the better you're going to get along with less cushion um when you're looking at a straight minimalist shoe like uh, the the vibram five finger toe shoes mm-hmm. and yep. like barefoot running and things like that um that's coming from a place where people really believe that the shoe technology has gotten gone too far in the direction of the shoe influencing your, your gait. And so they've gone in the other direction saying, no, I'm going to run how my body naturally is supposed to run. And one of the easiest ways you can kind of feel this as a runner is just to take your shoes off and run in place. Mm. And when you run in place, you're impacting on the forefoot. And then as you're running in place, you just slightly lean forward and you start to move forward. And so that's kind of where the beginnings of that barefoot running thing started, uh, was just trying to feel the ground in the natural way that the foot wants to display and impact at the ground. Um, it doesn't, but it, it, seem like, it doesn't seem like that's a bad idea, like in, in theory, right? And even in practice, just doing that exercise, I think actually might be beneficial for people to try, right? Take off your shoes, run in place, see where you're feeling contact, where you're not feeling contact. If you get any pain, you know, mark that down, right? It's not a bad idea. Um, right. But I can see what you're saying in terms of, and it makes perfect sense from both from body work and posture and strength, um, why you would say minimalist works well for people who are, use who are doing running daily and x amount of miles because they're you know it's that old adage if you don't use it or you lose it and your body reacts and adapts differently the way you use it or not so that that makes really good good sense and then back to your the the kind of the barefoot running craze is that something that's a kind of like a a fad that has passed 
is there still a lot of con you know people who in either camp that say definitely you should do this is that kind of tied up to the minimalist versus cushion shoe and running um there's definitely still some barefoot runners out there uh i i think that the uh the running community that that population has shrunk quite a bit. Mm -hmm. Um, that may just be influenced from the manufacturers because shoes are trending towards much, much higher stacks now so much so that the world athletics association has had to put a a legal cap on what is allowed for competitive running. Um, Whose job was that to put that cap? (laughs) Well, they were, they were getting out of control. I mean, you can, you can buy, um, I mean, the, the Adidas Prime X has a stack height of 50 millimeters in the rear. I mean, at, at some point, you're starting to lose stability underneath you. And so they have to add other elements into the shoe to stabilize the shoe. Um, but at some point, you're, you're losing all connection with the ground. And some of it does come down to runner preference. Um, different runners prefer to have more ground feel. And so they're going to choose a shoe that has a lower stack height and less foam under their foot. And some runners prefer to have more stack under them because they don't want to feel the ground. Mm. Um, on that same, on that same note, something that I think is overlooked a lot is the weight of the runner. Uh, everybody always, they'll sit and argue and talk about the weight of the shoe and say, oh, well, my shoe is 6.9 ounces. It's the lightest shoe on the market or whatever. And it's like, well, okay. But if you're a 210-pound bodybuilder and you're running in a shoe that has a really, really high stack height, you're going to compress that foam a lot more than a 120-pound runner who's mm-hmm. going out there. They're not compressing that foam as much. So the density of the foam and the amount of foam starts to play a part and how that shoe is going to react on your foot. So it's really important to go try the shoes and run in the shoes, um, whether it be on the treadmill or, or in, outside the store, um, when you are choosing a shoe. That was definitely nerdy. I loved it. Yeah. <laughs> that, was, that was like, that was looking at all the six different ways this could all come together and impact. That was amazing. Oh I'm having a little bit, I'm just kind of, I'm just, that was big. Because that if that that translates to you could translate that to other to other things too definitely, um, and I never really thought about this, but uh, I guess not in detail. I guess maybe in, intuitively. But if I have somebody who is their IT bands are super restricted, and you know, looking at their weight and what they're trying to do with their body. That could, you know, that impacts the soft tissue just as much as, I guess, building muscle. I don't know. There's a lot there. Yeah. I'm gonna have to, I have to sit with that one. Okay. <laughs> yeah, it's it's tricky because I mean, as you know, when when people start running or they start a new exercise regimen, the muscles develop faster than the ligaments and all the tendons and things that tie everything together. And so what ends up happening is the muscles get stronger, they go faster, and they get injured because all of the connective tissues have not had enough time to adapt. And so that's why as a coach, I'm always urging my athletes to take it one step at a time, trust the process. Don't go from two miles one week to 10 miles the next week, Mm -hmm. because your body's just not ready for that. Your muscles may feel like they are, but you, you have to trust that process and let the body adapt naturally as it needs to. And maybe, uh, and in reality, that's, that is the essence 
of being a good coach is to be able to take that 360 view and to zoom out, right? That's what, uh-huh. that's what we need is that person to say, yes, you're doing great, but more isn't better. Right. <laughs> yeah. Sometimes yeah. we don't want to put more on too quickly. Oh, and I, I've, ab- I'm absolutely a hypocrite when it comes to that because I know when I feel good and I go out to do a workout, I want to push hard and I want to come home with a new personal best at whatever distance I'm doing, and I want to feel that that victory on that day. But you know, I constantly have to remind myself that I can train as hard as I want within the limits of the larger lens. You know, looking at my my training year. And maybe even beyond that, because maybe at this point in the year, I'm not at a point where I should be PRing on that distance and I need to slow down a little bit. And that's it takes pace discipline is incredibly challenging. Uh, you have to take the ego out of it, which <laughs> as athletes, ego is uh, it's a part of the brain. <laughs> that's, that's part of the Brits, a whole makeup. Yeah. It's, it's, it's definitely there. Um, and yes, yeah, definitely uh, a challenge. I have learned with you over the, I don't know, two years I've known you. Um, do you, uh, okay, so now I, I kind of want to circle, now I want to circle back around, I've decided. Okay. And go back to what you said earlier in the podcast, which was that the fit is the probably the most important part of the shoe, right? And so if we take this down to a base level, and I have somebody who's either just starting out, like, hey, I want to do triathlons, or hey, I want to start running 5Ks and build up to a marathon. Or even somebody who's like, you know what, I've noticed the shoe doesn't work for me anymore. Um, one of the things I get asked is, you know, what should I look for when I go to the running store? What should I look for in a running shoe? And one of the things that I, as a body worker, look at is, okay, let's just start with the feet, you know, are your sure. feet and ankles mobile, restricted? Do you have high arches, low arches? That seems to be kind of a very base level start. But then if I start going into it a little bit more, it's, well, should we talk about, like what you were just saying, should we talk about mileage? Like how fast are you going to build up? How slow? What's your time frame? Are you, are they new? Should we start with more cushion now? Should I say, hey, you're a new runner. You're going to be all on pavement. We should maybe start with more cushioning. Um, So what's kind of the top three things people should go like, okay, these are the three things I really need to think about when when getting a shoe, getting a good fit. Well, first, you nailed it, the fit. That's the first thing you should look at when buying a shoe. And contrary to what I tend to run into, it's not what the shoe looks like and what color it is. And (laughs) Because... (laughs) <laughs> shoe manufacturers, they make some really sexy looking shoes, and that's really a draw to get people to buy them. But the most important thing is the fit. And just putting your foot on one of those uh, foot measuring devices at the shoe store, that doesn't tell the whole story. Because mm-hmm. that may give you the length of your toes and the width of your foot. But the proper way to fit a shoe is not by pressing your thumb into the toe box and seeing how much room you have in the length. Hmm because that doesn't really tell you anything. I can put three shoes side by side that are all exactly the same size and they'll have different legs. Yeah, so, yeah. The, so when it comes to fit, um, the two most important things is that the arch support is in the correct place, hmm. assuming that it's the right height for your arch, and that the widest part of your foot is in alignment with the, with the widest part of the toe box. 
And so the way you do this is you put the shoes on, make sure you stand up, lace them up correctly, um, and then feel where that arch support is in the shoe. It should be directly under your arch supporting your foot. And then you can squeeze on the sides of your of your foot and see where the widest part of your foot is, and that should be at the widest part of the toe box. That may put you into a shoe that's longer than you're used to. Um, I find that when when you size a shoe like that, most runners go up half a size and some a full size larger than they thought they were supposed to have. Agreed. Um, Absolutely. And then the the second most important thing to determine when you're going out to pick a shoe is what are your your goals? What are you going to be doing with that shoe? If you're running a 5K, you probably don't need a shoe that is the latest super marathon shoe with a carbon plate and high stack and all this crazy technology because that's not really going to benefit you. Um, if you're going to be just doing general daily training, you need something that's a little bit more durable. Um, the, the, the modern foams are incredibly light and very bouncy and, um, the, the durability sometimes can wear out. And also the other thing is, is if you're running day after day, that foam actually will compress on a run and the next day can feel different than the previous day. So Mm -hmm. If you're going to be running every day, I'd actually suggest having two pair of shoes that you rotate. Um, <gasps> that was a secret question in my brain. You've already read my mind. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So, and, and distance does matter because if you're, if you're running a marathon, your feet are going to swell. Yeah. And if you're in a shoe that's already too small for you and you're 20 miles into a marathon with swollen feet, that shoe's going to restrict even more of the movement that you need in your feet to keep you in good posture it's, it's just everything just starts spilling into more and more problems. So fit is most important. Second would be what are your goals and what do you plan on doing with that shoe? And then you said three things. So uh, the third thing, I guess, go ahead and pick something that looks good and you like the color. <laughs> <laughs> You're like, and that's the last thing, but I'll add it just, just for fun. Yeah, why not? Yeah. Okay. No, that's really great. I think that's super helpful. I know over the past, well, it's a lot. Over the past three years in particular, I've been getting more of these questions. And I don't know if it's partially related to, um, you know, COVID. And so people couldn't go out and, and they were buying shoes online maybe was part of it. But I also have had an an uptake in younger um, people who are wanting to start triathlons. And so there's just more people who want to get outdoors and do more stuff. So it might be a combination. Okay. Now we're going to get personal. You ready? Yes. All right. Do you have a favorite current, a favorite current shoe? Uh. <laughs> I know it's hard. I know oh, it's hard. I've so seen hard. all your shoes. It's, it's crazy. Uh, it kind of depends on the day. I mean, so Similarly to what I just said about how you have to identify what your goals are, um, there's, there's, if I had to dumb it down to three basic types of runs that I do in my training, um, I would say there's speed work, there's uh, more tempo work, which is not as fast as speed work, um, more like a half marathon pace. And then there's just my long, slow runs where I'm logging long miles, pushing my endurance. And so I, I have favorite shoes for each one of those. And actually, because like you said, I have a closet full of shoes. I have three or four pair in each one of those categories. So, you know, I can choose what feels good to me that day or what matches my outfit or whatever the (laughs) thing may be. Um, 
And I, every time a brand comes out with a new shoe, I just have to get it and try it because I'm, I'm obsessed with it. But as far as like just daily training, I really am a big fan of the Asics Nova Blast. Mm. Um, it's, it's a really comfortable shoe with a generally normal fit. Um, it accommodates a, a variety of different, um, uh, foot widths and arch heights, um, the other one that I rotate in that, that daily trainer category would be like the Hoka um, Mach 4. Hmm. Uh, that's, a, that's a really good, very lightweight, responsive, comfortable shoe. Hoka's tend to be a little more narrow than some of the Agreed. other brands. Yeah. So, you could, again, you kind of have to check that fit and see how it works for you. Um, like if I'm doing up-tempo, uh, more speed work, I, I like the Nike Tempo Next Percent, which is an expensive shoe. It has a nylon plate instead of a carbon plate, which is just more technology working on propulsion. But it makes the shoe incredibly responsive. And when I'm doing tempo work or speed work, I'm changing paces. And when I want to change pace from slow to fast, I want it to happen instantly. That shoe just responds. Um, Can I also just pause here? On- sure. And give a shout out to your running buddy, Kona. Oh my goodness. <laughs> Kona, so Kona is this adorable, adorable dog. She is the best dog I've ever met. And I have too. And that's saying a lot. But um, <laughs> she she's just the sweetest thing. And so do you take her? Do you take her on all your runs or just per, uh, some of these shoe runs? Like is she, a fa- is she a fan of the Asics or is she more a fan of Hoka runs? <laughs> She's a fan of speed work. She loves Uh hard, fast intervals, but she does like intervals. So if I take her on a tempo workout where I'm doing faster paces for longer distances, she will fizzle out after about an hour. Um, The long, slow runs, she'll go forever. Uh, If I go trail running, I take her off leash. She can outrun me for days. Um, she can. Yeah. She is an amazing yeah. runner, that one. And she's also <laughs> she's just incredible. so sweet. You can take her anywhere, anywhere in the world. And she would, yeah. people would follow her feet, I'm pretty sure. You could get it. You could get into <laughs> like the Vatican with Kona. <laughs> yeah, she's she's pretty amazing. I got lucky. Um, <laughs> okay. So, yeah, and then I, I definitely have some favorite race shoes too, uh, which are the, you know, very aggressive, more stiff, very, very light, incredibly responsive shoes. Um, something like the A6 Metaspeed Sky. Um, probably my favorite is the Adidas Adi Zero Adios Pro. The first version, they're shortly releasing the third version now. I didn't like the second version. They Manufacturers tend to, tend to change shoes from year to year. Not all the time it's for the better. Mm-hmm. But that first Adios Pro is, I mean, I have got my half marathon PR in that shoe and my 5k PR in that shoe, my 10 mile PR in that shoe. It's just, it's, it's a fast shoe. But when you get into those super shoes, the really aggressive shoes with a lot of technology, you, it's like a scalpel and you have to be very precise with your foot strike and your form has to not break down. Cause once it does, that shoe is actually giving you diminishing returns and it's not going to help you. <laughs> that's also very, that's also, that was a little geek out thing to say. And so actually this is going to be my last question because we could also, okay. we can also you eventually like maybe even do a podcast off of this, but um, besides the minimalist versus cushion whole other rabbit hole, do you, it sounds like you, what you train in and what you race in are not the same shoe. And I do have a lot of clients that also ask like, how many miles should I put on the shoe and can I then use it for my race? 
And I'm talking half or yeah. full marathons. Yeah, that's, that's, that's a great question. And it, it comes down to two things. Um, how frequently are you running in that shoe and what's the durability of that shoe? Mm-hmm. So the softer the foam, the less durable that shoe is going to be and the more time that that foam is going to need to recover to be ready to do, give you the maximum amount of rebound again. So if you've got a shoe that has a very soft foam um, and you're running in it every single day, you're going to break down that foam quicker. Um, so when you're, when you're looking for a shoe, I really suggest having a daily trainer shoe that's going to be a lot more durable. You can do tons of miles in and then a separate shoe for race day um, that gives you maybe a, a lighter shoe, something that's more responsive. And you you should do a few training runs in that shoe before the race. Don't, yeah. don't do yeah. something brand new on yeah. race day. That's just <laughs> okay, begging for blisters and problems. Um, Glad you're covering I've that. I, I've done it. I, I always tell my, my, my athletes, don't do that, even though I've done it. But um, it's, <laughs> I've uh, done it's it for you idea. and know it's not a good idea. That's why. <laughs> yeah. Um, but as far as the the how many miles can I put in a shoe before it's no longer going to work for me, it, it's completely dependent on the shoe. Most daily trainers, you can get 400 miles or more mm-hmm. in the shoe. depends on the shoe. Like, the Asics Glide Ride is a tank. You could put 650 miles in that shoe and it'd probably still be fine. Oh. Um, something that is softer, like uh, Brooks Hyperion Tempo or um, Saucony Endorphin Speed or, or like the, the Hoka, the Mach 4. That's a shoe that I love. Um, those shoes break down pretty quick. And so I usually don't take those shoes above 200 miles. Um, they're probably still good up to 300 but when you get into race-specific shoes, like one of my favorite race shoes is the Nike Alpha Fly, and that has probably the most technology on the planet. That was designed for Iliad Kipchoge, who broke two hours on the marathon in that shoe. Um, that shoe, you're lucky to get 200 miles out of it. And that, if you're a heavier runner, maybe less. Um, so it depends on the shoe. Uh, I know that doesn't answer your question specifically. Well, it it does in terms of when people are looking at their shoes. And I think the biggest takeaways that if I, you know, boil this down to a really, you know, quick, what are the biggest takeaways um, from, from this is, you know, you need to, you need to think about your mileage. You need to think about where you're doing your mileage. Um, You need to think about what type of shoe, meaning the cushion type. And then Uh how much, you know, how many miles, what you were just talking about per cushion, right? So how many miles per cushion (laughs) per weight? One of those science problems like mass equals, I don't don't know, there's there's a science problem out there for this, I'm sure, or a mathematical (laughs) problem for this. Um, So where can, if people want to say, hey, I really even want more information about shoes and want to find you, what's a good way to do that? Um, so my coaching business is called smell fast racing. Um, and that is meant to be funny. (laughs) I, I can, uh, my wife coined that she used to always tell me when I'd come in from a workout and drone on about metrics and data and power and speed. And she'd be like, well, you smell really fast. So, um, that became smell fast racing. Uh, you can find me at smellfastracing.com or on Instagram, smell fast racing. What? It wasn't Uh, taken already. I'm shocked. 
no. As soon as she said it to me the first time, I took it so that nobody could have it. Oh, you had it waiting in the wings. Oh, my goodness. Okay. Awesome. Um, Well, I do definitely appreciate you taking some time to answer some questions about shoes. And I could also see this could be something that we um, probably talk more about in the future. Um, oh, absolutely. There's we never even talked about heel striking versus foot forefoot striking <gasps> or cadence or any of the good stuff. <laughs> You're like, I have six more pages of notes and we didn't get down to that level. So I did I did get some feedback from a client who said, you know, if you do some kind of podcasts that are informative like that, then I can definitely listen to it when I'm doing my rides or, you know, doing my long runs. So I think this is Great. a pretty good, you know, like, hey, you know what? You could go for do do some do some rides or do some work, do some trainer stuff and listen to this informative information. So maybe we'll do, we can, we can do it again and we can have like a whole series of like, I don't even know. I don't even know. We'll call it. I have no idea. (laughs) It'll come to us one day while I have my cups on your it band, probably. (laughs) (laughs) Yep. Yep. Um, So thank you very much. And uh, I will probably see you in the not too distant future. All right. Thanks so much. Bye-bye. All right. Bye.